This is a Strategist, episode 1283. My name is Zane Velge. With me, as always, Stephen Carter, and, of course, Corey Hogan. Corey, go ahead. Do it, please. Oh, man. You do realize... That was pathetic. Yeah, the, the impact you no are looking for... No one even hear that. I agree with Carter. The impact you're looking for, Corey, mm. it rarely delivers every time you open up a can. It sounds extremely meek. It sounds like you're drinking beverages from several years ago just to show us how poor the no, carbonation it, is. Do you know yeah. what? It's uh, it's like a metaphor. It's like, sit down, have a drink with us. Put your feet up. The strategist is because Oh, you think you your think your pals, Stephen and Zane. And that's our brand? You're better, Corey Hogan. I think we've already established our brand is not here. Yeah, that's that's not. I think it is. I think that's our brand. Uh, put, you know, it's all just a very relaxed scene. I think we're a relaxed scene. I think that that we're chill, as the kids would say. Speaking of which, did you put Do any product in your hair today? Because that does not look good. Well, it's very like it's, chill. Oh, okay, is that it's what it's a that? chill day? Yeah, uh, okay. we're having a chill day. It's also chill for Corey. It's just a nice chill Sunday. Uh, he, yeah. he turns off all the heating for his family in his home every time he records. That's the level yeah, of dedication. Exactly. It's extremely chill exactly. there all the time. It's, it's under chill. zero again. Um, mm-hmm. Carter, uh, I assume you've been watching the Grammys, uh, going on as we record nope. right now. Who's going to be winning the album of the year? Yeah, it's probably going to be Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Corey, uh, you know, I know you're, you're a big Swifty in your own right. Um, arguably the biggest Swifty of the group. Um, is it going to be, is it going to be Taylor? Yeah, uh, with her spoken word album that she did. Yeah, that right? was good. Yeah, okay. it's a good spoken word album, I think. Corey mailing it in with the jokes. Carter, we're gonna. I mean, okay, you do, Corey, you want a second go at it? Every time, you, every time no, you do it an I work. mean, I feel work. like that's what he's starting to focus for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, Carter, let him go. He's got, he's got something going on. He wanted to see, let him go. Yeah, no. Well, he was barely he's barely turning on the stove with a Taylor Swift audiobook joke, which is just it's fine. Go ahead. It's very, very chill. It's just a very <laughs> chill time. Nothing. Let's move it on to our first segment, Carter. Our first segment. Why the fuck do we still do this? For those that are uninitiated to this segment, Stephen Carter, I introduce a topic. I introduce something that happens in our political universe. It happens often, and usually it happens or has happened recently, which allows us to talk about it. And one of the things I want to talk about in this, under, or I should say under this banner, Stephen Carter, of why the fuck do we still do this, um, is going after strategists, campaign managers, and advisors. We have talked for a very long time that the public's attention span is limited, that they could barely name a local candidate, that they could barely name a cabinet minister, let alone most people, or a good portion of people, don't even know who their premier is, and occasionally some people have no idea who the prime minister is. Yet, in politics, we see it all the time. Rather than going after the main person, The principle you're trying to take down, people go after their advisors, unelected folks. Sometimes they're not even in the office. Sometimes they're just informally advising uh, someone's campaign or someone's ambitions or someone's pathway towards uh, becoming the, the next leader of a country in this particular case that I'll mention. And Carter, we now have our newest example of why the fuck do we still do this as related to advisors, because the liberals are going after Jenny Byrne. She's, of course, known as the the, the senior advisor to Pierre Polyev's camp. She was a f- former podcaster, so part of the clan in that sense. Ran Stephen Harper's campaign, the, the one that had the famous uh, barbaric cultural hotlines, uh, you know, um, tactic near yeah. the end. Uh, and she is now a 
known, at least in the small political circles, advisor to Pierre Polyev and his ambitions to become the next Prime Minister of Canada. Carter, the Liberals have have kind of waged an attack that goes after Jenny Byrne and goes even further, goes after her firm for being registered lobbyists for Loblaws, the the giant grocer, uh, on the heel uh, on, on, as as a as a draw or a wedge of contrast. As Pierre Polyev talks about grocery prices being too high and Justin Trudeau being responsible for those high grocery prices. So Carter, let's park the issue aside for a second in terms of like, is this an effective at attack, etc. I promise I'll get to it, but answer my question. Because this is usually how we start this segment off. Why the fuck do we still go after unelected advisors, sometimes those that are not even in the office, to make an attack on on the principal? Well, a short answer, Zane, is because it works. And the reason that it works is that the media don't care really who's elected and who's not elected. What the media look for uh, is who's in po- who's got power. And so when you say those, um, you know unofficial advisors. I mean, an unofficial advisor is someone with absolutely no, uh, you know, re, you know, recourse if the, if the public decide that they don't like the advice that's being given. So there's no, there, the dynamic is very fluid. So when people decide to go after Jenny Byrne, for example, uh, you're going after this person who has an inordinate, inordinate amount of power uh, or perceived power and by going after them, you are able to attack and hurt the actual principle. So why do they do it? Because it works. Why does it work? Because people are suspicious of power. That's that's it in a nutshell. And now I'll hand it over to Corey, who will uh, explain why I'm right, probably. Corey, the, the, the purpose of this segment is just, just to challenge conventional wisdom, right? We, we've seen this all the time. We've seen this with liberal advisors. We've seen this with insiders, whatever term you want to use, right? These are people with disproportionate power, as Carter might say, without having the unelected banner. Um, why the fuck do we still do this? Is it just simply because it works? No. Um, yeah, I guess that's the pith of it. But more to the point, it works because people can hold the people around the leader they can hold them against the leader in a way they can't even the caucus, mm. right? Like in a funny way, it's an extension of this leader-centric world we live in. The, the leader gets to pick their advisors. The leader gets to pick their staff. And those le- advisors and that staff serve at the pleasure of the leader. So you're actually, in a funny way, more easily able to tie the views and actions of those people to the leader than you are their MPs. So fr- like right? advisors are friends, caucus is family. You really didn't get a choice on yeah, caucus in kind some of. way. Interesting. That's a, a shockingly good metaphor. Well, name, uh, explain know? shockingly. Well, I mean, we're just a couple of guys sitting around <laughs> chilling and uh, you're bringing your A-game. I, I, I'm just, felt I'm like, really I felt like that was a targeted, I felt like that was a targeted statement. Uh, <laughs> um, trying to maybe taking me down a peg. But Corey, keep keep going. In some ways, to your point, this is a this is a hand-picked selection by the leader. So it should have greater impact and it should have a greater dotted, dotted line sort of like or, or 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 potency in terms of why you know and and the actions of one being charged as the actions of 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 the other. Yeah. I mean, let's look at the um let's use the Conservative caucus as an example. Leslin Lewis last month was basically putting a petition around suggesting we shouldn't be in the UN as far as I could tell mm-hmm, or at least mm-hmm. the, you know. Yeah. You know, there was a there was a lot of kind of anti-internationalism that was involved in it. And Pierre Polyev kind of can just 
shrug, you know, and everybody around him is going to be like, well, she was here before he was leader. And what are you going to do? And yeah, he's given her a role. But yeah, he's got to balance the caucus. And and that's the thing, Zane. Caucus is seen as like something to be managed and mm-hmm. to be dealt with and mm-hmm. traded off with. Right. And so when you make a decision relative to caucus, that maybe isn't entirely the thing you would always do if you had full unfettered authority. But when you start talking about advisors, when you start talking about staff, you have full unfettered authority. So um, when your advisor, Jenny Byrne, is working for Law Laws, it's pretty easy to say that that's something you should have taken into account. That's something you should contemplate as you're doing this. And, and so it becomes a little bit easier to tie the personality and tie the action of the personality directly to the leader. Now, we can get into the substance of it. I think I, and in I, and I, some ways I agree with the charge, and in many ways I don't, because Loblaws is like, what, the fifth or sixth largest company in the country by revenue? There's got to be some work done by them and with them, mm-hmm. right? But but the reality is... Um, and you mean some work done by a lot of people, like in that in that sense? They're, 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 well, I mean, Loblaws is going to do work and they're going to do some of it through consultants yeah, yeah. and th- some of it through lobbyists and some of it by advisors, right? And so, um, yeah, I mean, you can look at it both ways, but it, people also love a good hypocrisy, right? So when the leader says yeah. one thing and the people the leader chooses to surround themselves with do another... Well, isn't that fun? Carter, you know, let's get to the specifics in a second, and I'll make one mention of one of the specifics just so that we're absolutely clear, which is that Jenny Byrne herself is not one of these registered lobbyists, yet this attack still seems to have at least some juice because I'm reading it from a a CBC article, or at least the details Mm -hmm. that I've kind of verbalized to to, to you all and the the listeners. Carter, when I do this segment, I like to ask the, the simple questions. Should we get rid of this? And if not... Do you want more or less of this, this particular attack, this particular strategy? Walk me through your thinking on that. Because if you're telling me this is effective, and if Corey's layering that on by saying, you know, this actually is more revelatory about a leader than the caucus that they have and the moves that they do in caucus, should we get rid of this practice? And if not, do you want more or less of it in our politics? Well, I want less of it because I tend to be the person who is the advisor. And as such, I wind up with a target on my back, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, that target, you know, it, it really does depend on how strong your leader is as to whether or not they will stand against it. Like, I suspect that uh, Pierre Polyev will stand with Jenny Byrne because it's it's not only the right thing to do for this particular situation, but it's also, uh, it'd be too painful to lose that input um, from... I think an advisor, while I don't necessarily agree with what Jenny does or how she does it, I think she's incredibly effective at it. So you wouldn't want to lose that if you're Pierre Polyev. She might be your ticket to to being the prime minister. So keeping her around, even though there is pain involved with it, is probably the right thing to do for Pierre Polyev. Um, Should we stop this? No, no, of course not. Because... um, we are a product of the people that we have around us. And if we have people around us that are unethical or t- taking kickbacks or doing mm-hmm. something, something that's really, re- truly n- not, yeah. you know, to be... Not the case here, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely not. This is, this is the liberals trying to make hay of a perceived conflict of interest or, and, and perceived hypocrisy. And I can even see the hypocrisy. I mean, it's pretty clearly hypocritical. But Jenny Byrne is working for uh, a firm that does lobbying. You're going to wind up in bed with these people. It's just we we were with a firm that did lobbying. We all wound up in bed together, which was 
Awkward. <laughs> uh, well, Did I say that right? I no, mean, no, that metaphor. That, which, that didn't come out quite which, by right. the way, brought to us by, by not brought to us by Douglas Mattresses. Um, Corey, I've heard they make mattresses that that folks can get in a box. Um, none of us have gotten that mattress, uh, or else yeah. we, we've had plans to no. record. An I have an indie mattress. Do you have an indie mattress. I have an indie mattress. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah maybe really? we can record. Shots fired, Douglas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Use use the, use the promo code Dave forty five. Actually, just try it. It might work. Just see <laughs> just if it works. Try, try Dave. Try Dave forty five. In fact. Try any promo code uh, on your on your ND mattress, Corey. More of it, less of it, and frankly, I, I think I almost assume what I think you're going to say on my core question, which is like, should we get rid of this practice? But same question as to Carter: Should we get rid of it? And and from a strategist brain, is it underutilized, overutilized? Do you want more? Do you want less? Give me give me your thoughts here. Yeah. More of it for staff and less of it for advisors. Big difference here. Uh Look, I'll be frank. I don't see the hypocrisy with advisors. I don't think that a lawyer representing a murderer is pro-murder. I don't think that accountants who do bookkeeping for a company that ends up having done something wrong are pro-accounting fraud. And I don't think consultants who work for companies that have opinions are pro those opinions. It's strategic advice. It's a product that the three of us on this podcast have all offered in the past for money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And I didn't agree with a lot of the people that I provided the strategic advice to, but it was a particular product that we sold. And I think it's kind of funny that there is this expectation that if you provide strategic advice to somebody, you must agree is with Is it them. funny I though, like that, in the public side? Yeah, I, it is. It's it, like it also in a fun, can I just take a tiny detour and get back yeah, to yeah. kind of the moral point there? I think that you get the best strategic advice from people who don't agree with you because we don't have the same blind spots, right? You're not getting a bunch of people into the room who have the same worldview as you. You see their bullshit so much faster. You can talk to them about it. You can work through it with them. So I think there's immense value in hiring people who actually disagree with you. And so if I want to use this Loblaw example, and Jenny Byrne's not even on the file, but if she were, Jenny Byrne would be saying to them, I think you guys need to realize that you look like a bunch of dicks who are soaking Canadians right now, right? And because she has a different worldview, you know, ostensibly than the one that Loblaws has, that actually helps them. That's useful strategic advice for them as they're building lobbying plans, as they're building their strategic plans. So I think there's actually, in a funny way, when you see somebody is consulting for somebody, you shouldn't assume that they have the same worldview. And you might even want to think, maybe they emphatically don't. But in terms of like the morals and the ethics of all of this, whatever, right? Like, again, like uh, lawyers have clients of all sorts of ilk, uh, consultants of all types take on all sorts of projects that they have varying degrees of enthusiasm for. Hmm. And I mean, frankly, there's even people who work for companies who don't don't aren't thrilled by those companies after they get up and go to work, can, right? Can I that's come, just that's the way the world is. Can I come oh back? Some things God. will never change. I'm going to come back to you on the it's more just, for staff, less for advisors. Oh. So they'll put up in a card. I need you to react to this. Corey makes a compelling Corey. case. Is it a no, pol- is it a politically attuned case? Because I think no. in the sense, give it to me. Give it to me. Why? I mean, oh, well, the, the the media are going to just parse through this and say, you know what, I I don't think this conflict of interest is real enough because we don't actually know what Jenny Byrne is saying to Loblaws. Maybe she's saying that they were a bunch of assholes. Yeah, that's probably what she's saying. Let's hold this off then. Let's see if we can't come up with a better, uh, some sort of a better outcome. No, no, this is bullshit, Corey. I, mean, I kind of am with the, Carter, The truth Corey. of the matter is... I like your explanation yeah, truth is very logical, but I'm kind of with Carter on the politics. It's totally of- true. By the way, he's totally right. He's yeah. totally correct. No, it's compelling. Except for 
the idea that people should see around that. I mean, my God, we know that the average voter is barely engaged at all. Um, you think that they're going to parse through? And do we think that the media, the media have the ability to kind of report this stuff properly? Like, come on, they're after the headline. This is a headline. It works. They were fed the story. They bit down. This is what this is the way that the world works now. And and should it work that way? I don't know. Does it work? I this mean, that way? was yes. Literally, yes. the question: Should we see less of this? We're not mm-hmm. My see point less is simply that my point is this. Yeah, make your point. My yeah, my point is that when we're talking about volunteers, when we're talking about advisors, look, we we don't own their time as political parties, as governments, right? They are they are people who are involving in in a part time basis, and they have an other part of their life that they need to manage, and we shouldn't make it a massive. Di- we sh- getting involved in politics shouldn't mean you have to bring politics into every other part of your life. That's the fundamental thing that I believe. And so my should is maybe not on like a media is it a good hit point mm-hmm. of view. It's on a civics point of view, which is we don't need to penalize people for being involved in politics oh in God. every other aspect of their lives. Can you hear the music? Like, did we put music under that? Can we put music under that? <laughs> well, he does edit it, it so time? I'm sure he will. Yeah. I'm sure so he'll when you're editing it, to make him look, you, can yeah. Can you throw some music underneath? Because that was. Do you want to be a bit more specific? Gross. Are you thinking clown music? Was, yeah. Are you thinking soft think, jazz? Yeah. Like elevator music? I mean, yeah. anything. Rising violins just, at the. I'm thinking. Minute. I'm thinking. Whoever yeah. wins album of the year, we just put their whole album through the entire, <laughs> through the entire. Yeah, great idea. Let's just let's just get, figure out. Get this like, copyright right struck right off the bat. That'd be perfect. Let's do uh, it. Corey, talk to me about staff. More on staff a little bit more. Wow. That's different. Their time is paid for mm. by the party, by the government, by the opposition caucus. Oh. They they do need to be held account for their actions and their involvement. And if one of them was moonlighting and giving advice to Loblaws on the side, I'd feel very different. Square that, though, with your first statement in regards to, like, the company you keep with advisors versus staff, right? Like, you're, you're tr- dr- right. the tighter line on advisors – looser looser sort of connection on on or the tighter sort of connection on on advisors looser connection on staff they're not necessarily no, your I, your no, people now he's just making he's just no, making I, I, i'm curious about that so let, no, let, let, let him explain I, let him explain look I, I in the first instance i kind of combined staff and advisors and said it's yep. easier to tie them to the leader yep. than elsewhere but i think staff are the ones you most tie to the leader because they do serve at the leader's pleasure advisor can be a very fuzzy term an advisor might not have a box on an org chart or anything like that people can float in and out of being advisor there's politicians i've known in the past who i would say at certain points i would kind of think of myself as an advisor i'd talk to them almost every day and there's other times i'd go months without talking mm-hmm. to them. was i an advisor then i don't know right but the, the point is it's a much less it's a much less concrete and specific role. And so sometimes you're you're engaged a lot and sometimes you're not. That's the reality of it. And as a result, I think it's a lot harder to hold them to account because if in one of those doldrums where you're not talking to them for months, they do something, what the hell does that mean? What does it do? And like, I'm not saying Jenny Byrne is that situation, but my point is the difference between an advisor and staff is an advisor's time is their own. A staff person's time is the leader's. That's what it comes down to. Carter, oh my God. Carter, let's talk about the specifics of this attack. And there's one question I'll, I'll save a little bit later that I find particularly interesting, which takes us back into maybe some of the, the branding and the mechanics here. But, but Carter, is this like a solid attack by the liberals? Do you like this angle? Like on, on, on the specifics now, on Jenny Byrne, on her firm, on the six or so associates, I believe, not including her, to be clear, that are registered as lobbyists, on the file of costs of living and groceries. Do you like this 
package and 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 what they're trying to imply with it and what the attack ultimately is trying to do do i like it uh, yeah like it as is, a strategist is, is an interesting question the way i would put it is i think it, it's a very good strategy hmm. i think that the strategy itself will work it is working and it may even have legs um, meaning that it will it will last beyond just the the end of the week, right? And I think that this could be a very good thing. I don't like it, Zane. I don't like any any time that I I'm actually very much on the side of Corey's little uh, soliloquy over there about you know good government and and uh, how we shouldn't have uh, politics bleed over into the rest of a person's life. So it's um, very it's very cute. but it's bullshit. It's never <laughs> going to happen that way. So recognizing the reality of the world, I'm, I'm, I live more on the lines of, uh, yeah, I mean, this is going to work. You may, you, if you want to regain some of that power, which I think is important that you regain, then, you know, taking a swing at Pierre Polyev through Jenny Byrne is probably pretty good. Corey, effective attack. I won't repeat the whole question, but in your mind, effective attack at the end of the day, strategically. Well, I think so. Um, I, I do think it's a bullshit attack because, again, mm-hmm. it's not even on the file. But I think it's an effective attack because you're able to tie um, – it's an interesting one. Let me put it this way. Let's talk this out for just a second here. The liberals are the government, right? And so it is a bit funny to be like, I can't believe you're talking to Loblaws and all of these high prices. Like, what are you doing about it, liberals? Like, it's a bit ridiculous in that sense. Yeah. In some ways, it feels almost more like a natural attack for the NDP than it does the liberals. But uh, ultimately, there is kind of a the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing. And to a lot of Canadians, Loflaws is the enemy. And so uh, it's an interesting connection that they've managed to bring in there. And I I don't know that it will play the, the dividends that Carter's saying over the long term, but it, it certainly didn't hurt them this week. Corey, can I, can I um, get specific with you for a second on something that I find fascinating? And I think you might find it fascinating too, uh, but we'll find out. How, how, or what part of this attack, in terms of it being at least initially effective, and by which I mean, like, the fact that we're talking about it, it was said in the House, articles written about it, how much of that do you think is, and, and, and to be totally clear, she's not on this file, but how much of that is, do you think, because the firm's name is Jenny Byrne and Associates, versus being named anything else, and I just find that so Excellent so point. interesting because she could have named like I own a firm. My name's not on it, right? Um, you know, and, and and you know, with my business partner, uh, so this could have been named Sugarwater for all we know, right? Like right. <laughs> Sugarwater Public Affairs or whatever. And it wouldn't would it have been as potent as it is having the visual of six people, first name, last name, and Jenny Burton Associates repeated six times in a column, two over so to speak. And I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts there around like the, the, the mechanics and the potency of, of the attack based on that. Yeah, I, it's an excellent point. I think if the company had had a different name, mm-hmm. that would be one thing. Might not be enough if she owned 100% of mm-hmm, it, but mm-hmm, if it mm-hmm. was a, sort of a division of ownership and it had a different name, then she just says, well, what do you want from me? Like, it's a company that makes decisions and it's a, it's a big company. But um it's not a big company, right? And it's got her name on it. And so it, this had actually all of the elements that made it harder for her to distance herself from the um, from the work in question and the file in question. And, you know, it's actually a, a very interesting point in that it becomes quite difficult 
when you are kind of the masthead, when you are the CEO, yeah. when you're the president, to distance yourself from any of the work totally. that goes on. Because the buck is supposed to stop there. And we can talk about putting up walls between various clients and, and the various sets of work that are happening at an organization. And they exist. You know, lawyers do it all the time. Strategic consultants do it all the time. People do this all the time. It's well-established and well-structured. But to the public, good luck, right? Like you're still the you're still the president, you're still the boss, you're still the person who is responsible for everything that goes on at that place. And Carter, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, it's not that she's just got her name on it, she's got her full name on it. It's not just like Burn and Associates, it's just like Jenny Burn and Associates. There's no there's no squirming away from it. The name is going to be constantly repeated over and over again, first name, last name, so to speak. Uh, Corey, well, I just realized, I just realized. I just realized she's going to write a biography someday called The Burn Book. Oh, that's y'all know that now? I, fucking I, amazing. I, I think, well, I, yeah. I mean, if she's going to, if she's going to write it, she's definitely not going to be able to use theburnbook.ca to sell that book. <laughs> that's what Killing I know. Us. So, that's, the, that's the only gotta, thing I know. We got to stop spending so much money on these things. Uh, Carter, I mean, I'm getting into a bit of nerd. But why but did fi- she... Okay, go, Why go, did keep, she get the keep business? Keep going, keep going. Right? Your, your she got the business because she is Jenny Byrne, right? And one of the reasons that she got the business is because she's close to uh, the person that is yes. perceived to be the next the next Prime Minister of Canada. We know that um, part being true. I, I don't know if I can know the first part being true, but I, I, get, I get where you're going. Yes. You know, she she's talented. She's got the capacity. She's she's monetizing. I, I, I mean, I think we've created a really perverse system in Canada uh, where... You know, if you're involved in politics, the best thing to do is become a lobbyist uh, rather than joining the public service, because um, working on a political campaign, you can do whatever you want afterwards. Uh, Working in government, you have to wait five years before you can become Jenny Byrne and Associates. Mm. Uh, So Jenny's taking the the smart play. She's taking the money that she, I think, that she's earned through her talent and her capacity. Um, And it comes with a price. And that price is public scrutiny. And so whether it was called Jenny Byrne and Associates or, um, you know, uh, Sugar Water Public know, Affairs, which Sugar is Water Public Affairs, um, it, it's still going to get the attention because she's the boss. She's so the you one. Don't, you don't think you don't think it's, it's you don't think it sticks because it's her firm, like full name, first name, last name, Associates. Oh, no, you, it totally. St- it, it would stick regardless, though. Oh, see, this is I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to say you don't think it sticks more. That's the question I'm coming into it, which is like, you don't think it actually this is like what's really helping the story, because to me, my, my I actually think it is in some ways. Um, Corey, what would you advise her if she if she were to s- see Corey Hogan out? For advice in the sense of her name being splashed all over these pages. Carter saying people like Stephen Carter saying there could be legs here, which is a term we use often, which ultimately means there could be a second, third news cycle. There could be more developments. There could be media and others wanting to chase this. You're, you're the political opposition in case the liberals and NDP may want to go poke further. What advice would you give her on how to think about something like this? You know, I think we've kind of stumbled upon it throughout your line of questioning here, which is I would probably recommend a different name for the organization. This is like long-term solutions, Mm. not short-term, let's get you out of today's problem. I think I'd say for today's problem, you know what, this too shall pass, but uh, there are probably some concrete steps you can and should take that will inoculate you from these attacks going forward. I don't know what her current like day-to-day role is at the organization, but I would probably not even do, I would be like, 
chairman emeritus or executive chairperson or or something to that effect, right? And uh, have a day to day money. Yeah, and have a day to day president of the company Mm. change the name of the corporation. You can do the two in tandem to sort of reflect that. And then when these things come up next time, you say, "Yeah, I founded it. It's a very successful organization. I'm very proud of it. My focus right now is on the campaign. I'm not involved in those day to day decisions. This is just more smear and lies from a desperate flounder in government that." Uh, you know, is so concerned with what Loblaws is doing that they'll dig through, uh, you know, the lobbyist registry and what a company I'm associated with does, but won't actually solve the problem themselves. Like this is the level of of competence and quality that we have from our current government. So yeah, let's talk about what we're going to do about, uh, you know, high grocery prices. Let's talk about the fact that they only seem high because our, you know, Wages are stagnant. You know, the the growth of GDP in this country is non-existent. Everything seems more expensive because we're all standing still while the world gets more expensive. So, uh, you know, maybe there's a way you do that and just sort of move on with your life from there. But I think those are longer term plays. I think in the short term, I wouldn't sweat it too much. We're a ways to an election. And, uh, you know, can't really even say years anymore, though, eh? No, but um getting closer. Yeah. We're a ways to an election, and this is just something that now you have gotten a bit of indication this might be a game the Liberals play, so clean it up. Govern yourself accordingly. Make sure that you are dealing with it both in a... I always tell people there's mitigation and messaging, right? The mitigation is change your structure a bit, change the name, so that you have actually distanced yourself from these things going forward. The messaging then flows from that, which is not really that involved in those day-to-day decisions and let's turn it back on the liberals so just have good mitigation and have good messaging carter what advice would you would you give her um i like a lot of Corey's advice um i wouldn't worry so much about the mitigation around uh changing the name uh i do like the idea of changing her title um within the organization uh, making it look less like she was involved in the day-to-day. Um, but I, I, I really think that, you know, this is the price of, of this type of success. I mean, there's, there's a reason I don't go into lobbying. Uh, and in fact, you'll find that there's an awful lot of organizations that mm. uh, have big names at the top of them who, and the big names never register. The big names at the top of the organization don't That's register as lobbyists. Yeah. They wind up being, you know, the president of the organization, and they make a couple of telephone calls every once in a while. But they're not lobbying. No, I mean they're just they're just there to to uh, you know pass along intelligence. That's all. Answer questions, not lobby. I mean they would never stoop so low. But th- I think those types of firms exist all over the place, and uh, you know that's not a question for this podcast, but I think that that's a question for why we created the system that we've created. It is, it is an interesting point. It is an interesting question for this podcast though, around like some of the big names that run some of these massive firms that, that dominate the lobbying and public affairs industry in this country often are just strategic counsel and now outright lobbyists and, and to give themselves that, that latitude or to keep their powder dry or, or for a myriad of reasons. Corey, you wanted to jump in here. Well, look, I think jurisdiction to jurisdiction, you got to be careful there because sometimes strategic counsel counts as registrable activity here in Alberta. It can in certain circumstances. Inexplicably, unless it's an issue in the public domain, in which case it's not, which is like the world's biggest loophole we have created here in Alberta. So if the government's talking about it, you can talk to them about it and it's not lobbying. Wow, that's pretty wild. But 
Um, the, the thing that I also think is worth noting is Stephen's point about how we've created this perverse system where there's actually a lot more benefit on staying outside of government than inside is so spot on. It is like, if especially federally, it is a long time that you don't get yeah. to do the things that you probably are most qualified to do once you've taken a role mm-hmm, in government. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty wild. And look, I'll even say, in my own personal instance, it's not... Um, you know, I, I ended up quite liking the work that I went into, but part of the reason I went from government to kind of the mush sector is that was a way to kind of ease out of lobbying restrictions, right? Like, it's just, it's not, it's not practical in many cases to move from very senior government jobs directly to the private sector because you can't do anything for a year or two. Well, years, and I think we've, as the case, and we know be. like live examples, you know, I wouldn't be singling it out other than the fact that it's been reported elsewhere that Navdeep Baines, the former you know, senior liberal cabinet minister is now sitting at Rogers, frozen out of lobbying. The, one of the principal things that they've hired him to do is effectively kind of move the, the, the needle with this government. So, you know, it, it is interesting um, in, in, the, in that broader regard in terms of folks having this, this, this chill period in, in ways. Well, yeah. And you, you, uh, you know, again, this is kind of a, I'm, I'm really doing a, a Jim Prentice look in the mirror tour here with my second in like three weeks of saying, you get what you get. Like we created these rules yeah. and of course people are going to act mm-hmm. accordingly. And I, you know, I, I can't, I can't speak negatively enough about some of the, the downside that's occurred as a result of this. Now they were created for a reason and you don't want a revolving door either, but it's quite possible we've gone a little bit too far. So if you're a Jenny Byrne type, what, why would you destroy your livelihood for so long? By the way, this is not just about freeze-outs. It's about the fact that they've really ground down people on wages, right? You can make more money outside of the system than in the system. You can actually be employed outside of the system instead of having to be on the sidelines mm-hmm. in the system or after a stint in the system. It's it's really weird, and we're kind of creating this shadow environment. So, you know, as we talk this out, those advisors becoming more important Maybe that's a lot of the reason why we're looking at them more and more, because more uh, that, of the system is actually occurring there. That yeah. leaves us on a good note, Corey. We're going to leave that segment there. Carter, we're going to move it on to our next segment. This one, of course, brought to us by our sponsor. Yes, they're still around. This is the Flair Airlines Miracle Takeoff. Carter, Flair Airlines, our smaller fleet now means fewer delays for you. Uh, Carter, a lot of their fleet are uh, more than likely <laughs> going to be um, part of the uh, government of Canada's um, backup infrastructure. We might actually use That's them as great, military Because if I we wind might, up working for Flair the government, Airlines I mean, might we actually, may as well. Flair yeah. Airlines might actually see some some action on, on the ground. We might even be going to the Middle East with some more Flair Airlines flights. Wow. Be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That short yeah. haul that you took from Vancouver, I mean, you didn't take it because it didn't go anywhere. No, it didn't that go anywhere. Yeah. That was scheduled for you. Yeah. That might actually yeah. find itself as a, as a GOC plane. Maple Leaf on I the like side. It. Represented Canada somewhere, Corey. <laughs> Probably built in 1963, you know, still has got a good it's very six to eight months of shelf they're, life. They're new planes. I think they're mm, like... We don't know that. Matter. I mean, they haven't told me in the copy. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Carter, it's time for the miracle takeoff. Yep. We, we, we talk about the Flair Airlines miracle takeoff when there is a campaign to be launched, a campaign to get started. And we come back home to Alberta because the Alberta NDP mm. leadership race starts officially. Uh, the official period starts uh, tomorrow. Uh, and we record here Sunday, February 4th, 4th, I should say, tomorrow 
Monday, February 5th, you're able to go. Uh, if you want to, you are able to launch your campaign. And Carter, I, I less so wanted to focus on the specifics of of who, who's going when and if, and because we'll find all that out uh, shortly, or yeah. we'll find some of it out shortly. Uh, so let's park that, um, so to speak. Let's talk about um, the strategy of launching together. And is there is there a a, a strategic benefit of all going at the same time of the wait one or two days a week like talk to me about how you think about launches we've talked in the past about launch as it's how important the launch is and and we've had deep dives into that i'm gonna put that also on the side today today i want to talk about less so what your launch is more so the timing of your launch as related to your competitors when the, when the gate is kind of when the race is relatively narrow like this one is and so give me your thoughts about this if you're one of these cams thinking about it let's assume all your vetting and all that sort of stuff is behind you let's not get bogged down in those technicalities from a sure. pure st- strategic choice perspective the, the ability to cluster your launch together within a day or two, so to speak, within the same week, good, bad, are you into that? Are you not into that? Talk to me about how you would think about this if you were advising a particular camp. I like to get a full cycle, meaning a full media cycle to myself, uh, to the candidate alone, uh, because here's the truth, right? The truth is that if you launch first, you have a benefit because then every other campaign that launches, you're going to be mentioned in that other person's article. So you're going, you know, you're going to stay in the discussion. So even if it's just the sentence at the end that, uh, you know, Zane Velge joins Corey Hogan and Stephen Carter already in the race. Uh, we welcome Zane to the race, blah, 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 whatever. However, it's going to be phrased, but going on the same day, I've never actually been in the situation where, you know, we launch on Monday and we anticipate multiple campaigns launching that day. Um, generally speaking, I wouldn't see an advantage to that because now I got to share my only day of guaranteed media. Um, my only day of getting the top billing. I now have to share that with three other or, you know, two other, or one other campaign. And I don't want that. I, I'd rather hold for a week because all I'm doing in that week is, you know, getting the same media as these other people. And I just don't see that as an advantage. Not at all. Corey, are you still thinking through the frame that Carter is on media cycle? Not to be so reductive, Carter, and saying that's your only lens. But I'm curious, A, Corey, are you thinking it through that same frame? And B, your thoughts on like these clustered sort of launches in a, in a, in a, in a narrowed window or a narrow time frame? Yeah, well, since we started recording here, Kathleen Ganley posted that tomorrow she's got an important announcement at 10 a.m., so that's Monday. So, you know, I think this is kind of game on. We have heard rumors that there are at least one other campaign, maybe two, that are going to launch tomorrow and that everybody's kind of going out the gate. I generally agree with Stephen. It seems weird for everybody to crowd on at the same time, but these things are always prisoners' dilemmas and there's always dynamics at play here that will make you move one way or the other. And the other thing I will say is people can set plans and then be stubborn about them when they realize that everyone else is going. They're like, well, fuck it. I'm going anyways. I'm still going to do it. But um, the uh, the idea that you're going to have a couple of people on the first official day of the uh, race jump in is also somewhat tied, I believe, in this case to the fact that it's so clear that there are campaigns that are up and running right yeah. now. And so they want to sort of be out in the public. They want to be able to have the things campaigns out in the public can do, like fundraise mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, like advertise 
have offices and phone numbers and websites and and those things matter too. And so I think a lot of calculations probably being made that the media benefit Stephen's talking about of going a week later in what is ultimately like what, like a 10 week campaign. Like it's, you know, it's not a lot of time you, uh, because the membership cutoff is in April. Uh, it's just not worth it. So you want to go when you want to go. That said, these things are prisoners dilemmas. So if, one campaign decides, I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to go a bit later, a couple days later, week later. Uh, that can also afford some advantages here, too. I also think in the context of this Alberta NDP campaign, we'd be remiss not to talk about the obnoxiously transparent will-I-won't-I uh, Nahed Nenshi stuff that started on Friday, and uh, and then following up with his flurry of activity and people around him just coming to this lightning bolt moment. Oh, shucks, I never thought about it till just now, but maybe he'd be okay too. And I'm sure a lot of these campaigns just want to stomp on that right fucking quick and say, no, this is not going to be a coronation. We're out here. We're running. We're going to do our thing. And, uh, and certainly assert that this is going to be an Alberta NDP race as well. So that's another reality. Carter, we'll, and we'll, we'll see all the specifics, so to speak. My, my question for you is in regards to being that solo camp alone. How do if you've made that strategic decision, and of course I say this yeah. without any prior knowledge of any campaign that's going to go like next week or something, right? Uh, but let's assume there's someone who's like wanting to wait. Uh, or not want to go in the same, let's say, 48-hour period. I'm going to make an arbitrary call, okay? How do you maintain discipline? Like, Corey makes a really interesting sort of, like, point here, right? Like, you've got a strategy. You, you say, Let's say you buy in on some media cycle, and then you see your competitors go. They go at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Let's say 10 a.m. is the first one. And they're going to start getting their first checks, and they maybe got a fundraiser they've got organized or they've been working on for a long time. Or they're going to start selling memberships. And you see the activity, and you're just like, oh, like, should we, should we go early? Should we just do it? Like, should we just, should we actually downgrade our launch and, like, just, just get officially declared so we're also in it, unless our names? How do you maintain discipline on something like that when you made a strategic call? I'm kind of curious to examine that a bit with, with, the, with the two of you, um, in a, using this as an example. Yeah, I don't think you have to. I think you can, I mean, we have seen time and time again that campaigns are soft launched, then soft launched again, and then hard launched later. Um, you know, that is the the nature of campaigning now. You still are, like, if you soft launch tomorrow, if you leak to the media, you know, that Zane Velge's uh, really anticipating a very strong run, and we anticipate him launching sometime within the next, the first three weeks of the campaign period. Um, right now, he's just, you know, he's finalizing a number of things. He's not going to launch weak like these people are doing. Tomorrow, he's going to launch strong in three weeks. Um, you know, that you you can still get into the article and you can still get coverage for your campaign launch, right? So why would you make this a binary when it's not a binary? Mm. It's not like launch tomorrow or you can't get any coverage. Launch tomorrow or you can't do any work. You're not allowed to fundraise. You're not allowed to advertise. But these campaigns have been going for oh, weeks yeah. already. Without, they, without they, any, they of those, any of those uh, assets, so to speak. Right. It, yeah, 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 yeah. Official assets. There are so campaigns happening in Mississauga right now that can't be happening for another month. They're not happening. You mean to replace Bonnie, Bonnie Crombie? Yeah, yeah. Bonnie Crombie. One of the counselors has written an op-ed and run it in, the, in Toronto's Sun saying why I'm running. <laughs> I mean, dude, you're not allowed to run. There's no campaign for you to run in. You're not allowed to run until such time as the nomination period opens up, and then you can start to run. But it's, you know, yeah. you just go. You just go on your own time frame, and it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, the media are still going to hit you. 
So they're still going to give you the opportunity to jump in because they want a race. The media always have one bias and one bias only when it comes to leaderships. They want a race. That's what they're there for. And if you bring them a race, it doesn't matter when you come into the race, they're going to get it. They're going to pay attention to you. Corey, I really like that Carter took my like 2D sort of example, turned it into 3D, being like, why, why even accept the premise that it's binary? I really, I really think that's a good strategic point. Um, but at some point, Corey, you know, you're going to need money. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to do some of the official things, right? Because yeah. uh, you've been starved from it for a while. And there's probably a part of it being like, I wish I could get in there and I, for some of those, those practical reasons, if I can bucket all of them as being practical reasons for your race. Give me your thoughts on this around the, the core question of how do you maintain strategic discipline if, you, if you've thought this through in that way? Yeah, you know, this is something that happens a lot in leadership contests is we we jump to general election frames and we talk about things in general election frames. But I want to build a bit on Stephen's point. These campaigns have been going on for a while. There is nobody who is actively involved in the Alberta NDP who has not been engaged in one of these campaigns, either directly by one of the candidates or through a or through a proxy or somebody who's on an org chart that doesn't exist yet because there's no technical campaign yet, right? This has been happening and it will continue to happen regardless of whether or not somebody announces tomorrow. And yeah, there's there's kind of the kick that goes out into the general public there. It is a bit of a starting pistol. It does allow you to do the fundraising things, but Every campaign that doesn't launch tomorrow is still going to be doing stuff tomorrow. They will still be having meetings with community leaders. They will still be selling memberships. And uh, this activity continues unabated. And I actually think it's a super fascinating like trap that organizations fall into, which is they start to think they're running a general election. And they start to say, well, we just got to get the, you know, the front page of the Edmonton Journal. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in great shape. Well, no, that it's actually doesn't mean a thing. Yeah. Unless it sells memberships, uh, you know, and so I think that um, there are a lot of ways to launch and there is not necessarily a right way or a wrong way to launch. I think the wrong way to launch is ultimately to play me too and to play towards a general election. Those those would be the two things you've got to be careful for. Carter, you know, we'll, 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 we'll maybe even dissect some of the strategies and tactics used in, in some of the launches that we see in the coming week or so. Uh, or and, and to your point, Carter, maybe even the coming couple of weeks or so in terms of how some of these campaigns want to roll themselves out. But talk to me about going first. Does it say anything else? And I go back and I'm trying to draw a parallel from last episode when we talked about Daniel Smith's policies being rolled out. And you you guys, I, I think both came, at least one of you said it and the other one agreed to it, which is going first has a certain value in that sense in terms of responding yeah. to Daniel Smith's statement. Talk to me about the value of going first. Let's put the practicality aside. Does it give you anything else, really? It doesn't give you a front-runner status if someone's going to launch at noon, if you're launching at 10 a.m., using the example that Corey's just put on the board. Does it actually give you materially anything? Like, if I saw Kathleen's tweet right now, and I was running one of those campaigns, and I was going to launch at 11, and should I even bother sending a text to my team to say, should we launch at 9? Like, and, I, and this might sound stupid and petty, but, like, people think about these things. Like, like we've, we've probably been part yeah. of chains. Talk to me about going first on a technicality. Does it actually get you anything in a, in a leadership race? Not really, no. Okay. I mean, going first brings very little in the way of value. And and the, the thing that brought Danielle Smith value wasn't that she went first, it's she was the most the prepared. Work first. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. Doing the work is the only thing that matters. And you can continue to do the work behind the scenes for days, weeks. Uh, I mean, this is a relatively short period. So you do want to be 
on the ground with money and making things happen. But one of the things I was just thinking about, if you really wanted to get a bump, if you really wanted to be, you know, in a, in a media thing that in a media frenzy that was a little different than everybody else, you know what I would do for this race? Register. Don't launch. Register. And then all of a sudden, you know what? Uh, some enterprising journalist is going to find out that you've registered and now they're going to break the story. They're going to break it. And isn't that going to be like a hundred times better than any launch that you're going to get? Because the launch is going to hit all the predetermined hits, right? The problem with launching, all launches have the exact same feel to them, right? Certain hits, certain beats that you see every time. And they only generate so much attention. The only thing that really matters is being able to raise money through elections, Alberta, you know, raise money for, through your party and spend that money. That's the only thing that really matters. So who the fuck cares? Just register and then launch a week after you register, after the story's been broken. Two stories, price of one. That's, that's the only thing you get with launching, Zane. If you go first, maybe you get two stories instead of one, but tomorrow, you don't. You're going to be one third of one story. Uh, Corey, I have to say he's on fire today. I think Carter's responses have been have been home runs, uh, and I feel like that uh, ten year ten year old. I feel like that ten year old carbonated drink that you've had is um, needs to needs to needs, to, needs, needs, needs to kick you up again. Well, I'm just very chill. <laughs> no, what Carter's talking about happened in the UCP race. There were candidates. I think it was Travis Taves who was like listed on Elections Alberta before he made any kind of announcement, yeah. and there were people who wrote about it and and put it online. I think the broader point, though, needs to come back to an underline, which is people way fucking overthink these, these sort of things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, like you wouldn't believe, right? They're sitting in campaigns. They think we go first, and we're going to look the most prepared. And the party wants the most prepared person because that's the person who's going to win the next election. Because the party wants somebody who's going to win the next election. So we got to go at 10 a.m. on Monday, right? Or whatever, you know. But like the the rationale and the logic chains that lead to these decisions, and almost the panic of we must do it in this way. Are, you know, you step back from any campaign you've ever worked on, you look at them, you're like, well, that wasn't necessary. That yeah, wasn't. Yeah, important. that was a small thing, not and a big thing sort of thing, right? Even if it was That was a big, small yeah. thing, not a big thing. And, uh, you know, yeah, I got that sugar rush of all of a sudden I was online and, and people were giving me thumbs up emojis left, right and center. But that, that shit doesn't matter. We get that every so, day. So like for us, we're like desensitized to it completely. Yeah, yeah, clearly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as the strategist, we are regularly used to adulation like that. But candidates are different. Yeah, yeah. they don't. They don't candidates. actually have thousands of listeners <laughs> on a weekly basis, or or those who kind of tens of thousands. Sorry, I, don't I, sell it. No, short, no. Okay? I mean, yeah. thousands. Come on, like fucking. To be clear, thousands could also be tens of thousands. I was being humble. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't shortchanging us. Right. It could actually be every number up until what nine hundred and ninety nine thousand. You, you yeah, I mean, I, millions are still thousands. I guess that's a good quote. So. <laughs> you went for public school? That's pretty good, Corey. It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll let you, I'll let you keep going. Uh, candidates don't get that adulation. Uh, and they well, overthink look, it. That was the core of your point. They overthink yeah, it. Sure. They, campaigns overthink all of these things. These moments are much more ephemeral. We've talked about yeah, this before. I'm not going to. Uh, you know, the Pierre Polyev launch video was just him at a desk. They didn't even look Terrible totally line. like his yeah. other videos. The, the other thing is, like, my personal view of these campaign launches is 
you do it when it makes sense for you to do it. You, you fucking get out there and you adjust based on the initial reaction you get back. Because one of the big challenges campaigns have in this go quiet mode is you don't get the kind of feedback you sometimes need in order to develop the things the way you need to develop them. So um, once it's all out in the open, once you can have these conversations, once you can test messages, once ads can go out and there's an A version and a B version, your campaign gets a little bit better. But you should start with the idea that the first version of your campaign is not the last version of your campaign. And you will iterate, and you will improve, and a campaign that is open to that is probably a campaign that's going to be in a stronger position. Yeah, even in a 10-week in a sort of sales period, that's good advice. We're going to leave that segment there, Stephen, move it on to our over, under, and our lightning round. And I say your name, of course, Carter, because we do this for you. We do everything for you. Yeah. So this whole show is, is, is literally created for you, Stephen Carter. Are you in or out on the federal government's quote-unquote official response uh, with Justice Minister Arif Virani, uh, someone who you actually correctly named on our Holiday Spectacular of uh, Al White. Uh, He accuses Alberta Premier Daniel Smith of demonizing trans kids. He had a whole response. Are you in or out on the speed and the cadence of the federal government getting involved on this file to the way they have? Now, they said they want to see the legislation before they do anything. So on a pure actions basis, they're not doing anything. Rhetoric basis? Are you in or are you out? I'm in. I think the more voices we have, the better off we stand against this uh, this lunacy. I was super pleased to see so many people in Calgary and Edmonton, uh, and then now in, in the smaller cities as well, uh, standing up against this uh, legislation. And I think that the federal government doing so um, helps. Um, Unfortunately, there'll be a lot of people who say, oh, anything that Justin Trudeau's government does is bad, so this is this must be bad too. And and I just think that that's very uh, childish and this is too big, too big, too an important an issue to uh, stay on the sidelines. So I'm, I'm pleased to see the government in. Corey, you've heard from Holland, you've heard from uh, Boissonneau, you've heard from Arif Ferrani, the justice minister I mentioned. Are you in or out broadly on the rhetoric? The rhetoric is not, to be clear, backed up with any sort of here's what we're going to do. They're saying we're going to wait to see what the, the, the legislation looks like. Are you in or are you out? Yeah, I, look, I think you're asking me as a person, you're asking me as a strategist. I think oh, as a person, I'm 100% yeah. in. As a strategist, I, let's I think. I, and I think we know our, our personal beliefs collectively on, on yeah. this one. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think as a strategist, I'm not so sure, mm. right? Um, there is um, there is the angle that Stevens talked about, which is, is this actually going to make a backing down more likely from Alberta? I don't, I'm not entirely convinced of that. This is not a super popular federal government here in Alberta. But beyond that, I think if I'm the liberals and I'm looking at the potential upside there, I don't know. I mean, it is is one of those things where I well, I guess I'm in because I think it hurts not at all to say I'm I'm concerned with this whole bundle, and then get specific and pick at the parts of the bundle that end up being quite unpopular. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the interesting things here in Alberta that we've seen is like there was a lot as we talked about last episode that was in there. It wasn't even just the parental notification stuff. But I think this whole bundle has gotten such a reaction. We've seen a lot of people from a lot of walks of life stand up and say, this is kind of nonsense. Uh, and we are starting to see the things boil to the top where people say, okay, that's the one in particular I've got you know challenges with, and it might be different for different groups. But you know, ultimately, if this goes badly for the provincial government, I think we will say with the benefit of hindsight, it's because they went so big mm. at the start. Right now, we talked about it last week as well. They've really moved the Overton window. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I'm not entirely walking back from that view, but you know, this is the downside, right? The potential downside is there's a lot to pick at. There's a lot of broadside to shoot at. Corey, I'm going to stick with you for our next one. Selena Robinson. That's probably a name that most people Mm. do not know, but have gotten to know over the last, let's say, 72 hours. She's a BC NDP MLA, cabinet minister, uh, finance minister. Currently. Currently. She is not... As of... As of 934 Mount. I'm not going to draw uh, people know. in, but she she said some things that were kind of disrespectful, I would say. This is my editorial <laughs> lens uh, about... about. Uh, I mean, that I don't even... Kind that, of? That's, kind uh, of? Yeah, it's not much... You know, I, I get accused, I accused of, not, of, of, of not going far enough uh, on certain things, uh. especially by uh, by my friends in, in, in a certain community. Um yeah, she said shitty things about Palestine um, oh and, and, and about Gaza. Um, and she's and she has just been sent a, a notice, as has the media, that that certain mosques uh, are banning her and any NDP MLA or candidate from from their sacred sort of spaces, which is, by the way, for folks that are, you know, into the political organizing aspect that has ramifications around organizing. Now, this is a small group of mosques, but. They, they, they kind of put out a letter, put out a statement after she kind of called, um, you know, where, where Israel um, currently sits as being crappy prior to um, uh, Israel kind of receiving the, 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 the land and, and building a homeland there. Corey, overrated or underrated the political headache this is for Ebi? You feel like something like this goes away? You feel like this is uh, – give me, give me your sense of this. For, for him, a guy who's going to go face the electorate in less than a year, probably – I'm trying to do the math here, October, right? Um, he's going to go face the electorate. Overrated or underrated, this particular sort of issue, if I can just frame it as simply as that for him. Yeah, it depends on your starting point. The, re- the reality is with BC United and the BC Conservatives kind of chunking everything up, he's got such a lead in seat projections right now that it would be super easy to overstate the potential consequences of this. But I, he's got a problem. Let's be really clear. He's got a problem. This is not the... <laughs> this is, he's, he's got a caucus that is not behaving on these particular matters and is, is uh, you know, exposing some pretty ignorant views all over the place on, on matters like this. And so this is obviously one of them. Talking about Palestine as a crappy piece of land with nothing on it. Wow. I mean, that's that's just... I don't know why anybody thought that was a good idea ever under any circumstance. Uh, but then, you know, on, on the flip side, on like National Holocaust Memorial Day, like there was there was not a post right away on that. And mm-hmm. he had some problem with his social media on that particular matter. I uh, It's been a week, so I already forget the specifics, so I'm not going to go any further than that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, the, uh, the, the this is one of those issues that is kind of tearing different parties apart. I don't think that's fundamentally going to change. But if I were him, I would be getting everybody in a room and saying, are we all fucking this stupid? Like, really? Yeah. Are we this stupid? And uh, reading the riot act to everybody and telling them to to kind of walk a better line and, and be more thoughtful about the things that they are doing here, uh, both in terms of, of uh, you know, Jewish Canadians, Jewish British Columbians, and also, uh, you know, Palestinian British Columbians, Muslim British Columbians, you know, to thinking about these issues more broadly still. So, um yeah, I think he's got to deal with that. He's got to clean that shit up. But I don't think it's existential at this particular moment. It is very embarrassing. But the reality is it's excluding MLAs and candidates. There are a lot of organizers that do not fit in either of those categories mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that will continue to organize. Carter, overrated or underrated the, the headache this is for Premier David Eby in British Columbia? Um, I think it's probably... Uh, 
underrated. I think that he's going to wind up carrying this problem for a while. Uh, I, I don't understand why he didn't act immediately, not necessarily, uh, you know, just because this, this statement was, was so callous and so stupid. Um, but re- just because of the stupidity, are mm. you fucking kidding me? You bring this and drop this at my desk. Um, yeah. you know, you have a cat that does that. You, 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 you get rid of the cat, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, this is, Political stupidity, and we've talked about it on the show. You know, this is not an easy subject, says everyone. Um, it, it's it's fraught. It's challenging. There are no easy answers. And to pretend that, you know, this isn't stupid politically. Um, why, be, she, why is she still, why is she still in uh, an NDP MLA? I have no idea. Pictures, I assume. Some sort of pictures of the premier. I have no idea. Well, if he'd moved no, quickly... I mean, he could have put this thing to bed. I don't understand. Because you start worrying any action, people start saying, what about this on the other side? What about that mm. on the other side? You were willing to jump so quickly in this particular matter. You were not willing to jump so quickly last it week. It exposes more about it's you the than, than, than yeah. the MLA or the, or the oh, minister. Yeah, yeah. But, you, but this, also, one, this one's pretty egregious. Oh, it, I, I agree. I mean, it's and just I so did stupid. Have a, I did have a cat that called the historical lands of Palestine a crappy piece of land with nothing on it. And yeah. I did get rid of it. I own that yeah. cat now. And uh, I don't know, I don't know where they are, but this is why I don't let brown people have pets. Corey, uh, I'll start with you <laughs> with that blanket statement. Oh my god! Let, let me let me start with you, Corey. Uh, name me one thing you're going to be looking for for from the launches this week. One Corey Hogan metric, uh, not even metric, qualitative, quantitative. Let me give you like as much latitude on that as you need. Uh, it could it could be a visual, it could be a word, it could be a statement, it could be a frame, anything. One thing you're looking for, Carter, same to you, and we'll close this thing out. Um, I'm going to say adaptability, or maybe even just more broadly, anything that's changed. Because again, these campaigns have been going on for a while. They've been foreshadowing lines. Is Kathleen Ganley going to tell us the economy is about people for an hour at a launch? <laughs> I mean, which God, is I a line... That. Is not as good as they think it is. Nope. They seem to think it's good enough because they've used it multiple times, right? Um, you know, still waiting to find a political party that doesn't think the economy is about people. By the way, if the economy is about people, you better be good at the economy, right? Anyways, I could go on about why that line's a clunker, but um, the uh, that's what I'm going to look for. Adaptability, the ability to kind of shift from where they've been and and see how they've evolved as well mm. and see what that tells us about the campaign. Uh, Carter, can I can I narrow it for you a bit around like sure. launch week or launch day or from their launch? What do you look – because Corey's analysis, I like that a lot. I'm going to get into that a bit more as, as things roll out. What are you looking for from, from as they launch this week? Uh, one Stephen Carter metric, qualitative, quantitative, totally your call. Honest to God, something different, something unique, something that that sets them apart. My great fear is that we're going to see X number of campaigns launch in the next 14 days, and we're going to look at them and say, was there anything interesting about any of those launches? Did those launches in any way speak to us? Did it, did they show a different uh, way of doing it? Or are we going to be able to say, oh, yeah, that launch reminds me of this launch in, in 2001, and that launch reminds me of this launch in 2014? And, you know, like, will we be able to just simply pick apart every one of their launches and say, been there, done that? Hmm. Um, I would love, and I, I do not expect this, I do not, but I would love to see just something different. 
We are going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1283 of The Strategist. My name is Zane you With me, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan, and we will see you next time.